Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show as we help start your day off here at Northeast Streaming Sports. I'm your host, Mac, with your guest co-host, the Philly sports guy himself, Jamie Paggs, filling in for Jack today, bringing your sports breakfast live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. What's going on, Pags? Good morning. How are you, Mac? I'm doing, I'm doing good, guys. Glad you could stop in and fill in for Jack today. I appreciate that. I know all the viewers out there will appreciate that, too. Um, you know, Pags, on Thursday, we try to catch up with all of our sports from the week. We, we do our show here on the weekend, so we're going live when everything's going on, but we still got to catch up from the weekend. There's always a lot of sports. Good morning, David. Glad to have you aboard today. And I like to start off Thursday with just some stories that 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 are up there in sports right now. Uh, for instance, the Houston Texans waived linebacker Zach Cunningham on Wednesday uh, after signing him to a four-year, $58 million contract less than two years ago because of disciplinary issues. Now, I don't know what's wrong with some players that get all this money, and this is an all-sports pack, right? They get all this money. They may have a past that's not the greatest. I mean, they have, may have gotten a little trouble along the way. But once you get to the NFL and become a professional and you sign these huge contracts, why would you take any kind of steps, missing meetings, causing trouble on the outside, to get waived by a team when you're making that amount of money? Well, you know, and it's funny because the NFL, amongst all the other ones, have a really strong program for these, you know, for for all these guys that to help them manage their money and, and be able to keep things in lines. But egos will always reign supreme. And as dysfunctional as that franchise is, I have to imagine that sometimes it just seeps down. Now, I don't know the particulars on why this guy got waived. And, you know, when you think about disciplinary, I think about the original discipline problem that I you know, first remember, and that's, you know, Terrell Owens, you know, and all the things that came with him and how that becomes a cancer within the locker room. And, you know, a really smart businessman taught me one time, he's like, listen, you hire slow and fire fast because you, and you have to fire fast because you just don't want the cancer to start to spread. Right. And maybe, you know, maybe Houston is learning in the midst of this, that they say, mm -hmm. okay, it's time to, you know, get out of the bottom portion of the NFL. Let's start to try to make ourselves a real franchise rather than being the laughing stock. Yeah, the coach did say, hey, listen, how can I, you know, how can I tell all these other players to be here on time and, and to do what's right when this guy's just doing what he wants and uh, we just couldn't have it on air anymore. So um, Houston uh, waving one of the best linebackers in the league uh, packs. A couple of years ago, he led the league in tackles. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago is a couple of years ago. So in college football, Oklahoma, of course, they're still reeling because Lincoln Riley left in the middle of the night. Uh, rumors were that he didn't want to play in the SEC. He didn't want to coach a team in the SEC, so he went out to USC. And they named a three-inch part of the most desolate highway. They, well, they haven't named it yet, but it's in, in session right now after Lincoln Riley calling it the Lincoln Riley Highway. 
So Oklahoma still stinging from Riley leaving. And of course, Notre Dame, hey, Jim Kelly went and left too. So um, kind of weird how college coaches can up and leave. In the NFL, they can't do that until the, until the season's over. Um, then they can do try and get out of out of certain contracts. But in college bags, anything goes, man. Well, and, and you know, I was listening last night to Freddie Coleman, and he was saying that this is the strangest year of coaching in college football ever. That right now the carousel is at 22 coaches have already switched teams this year, and we're not even we're not even into the bowl season yet. You know, so, you know, it's only going to get worse. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, when all said and done, there's probably going to be uh, a total of somewhere around 45 to 50 coaches that have changed teams. And, you know, I, I feel this is brought on by the NCAA. Like, the, the NCAA should should regulate the season – like every like the NFL does, you aren't allowed. Like you could start talking, you know. I guess after the you know the regular season, but you can't make anything official until after the Super Bowl. And really, it's three days after that when the season one hundred percent closes. The right. NCAA should have done that. The problem is, is now they have no power because you got these super conferences about to occur. So, yeah. and I'd be willing to bet that this is going to be something that's discussed in the bylaws of the super conferences so that there is, you know, the SEC is probably going to be the one that actually implements that. And yeah, then I mean, the other one will have to follow suit. I mean, you know, what's a shame was the NCAA originally was set up to protect players from getting killed, right? Way back, way back when, when the Ivy league was the biggest league in the country, believe it or not. And Roosevelt formed a commission to protect the players and have rules because college players were actually dying on the football field because of the violence of the game. And right. it's come from not protecting the players to more of worry about what they were eating or getting haircuts and stuff. When there's big, big problems in college football, this being one of them. And we've got another thing coming up with players being paid and getting endorsements. And we don't know what kind of can of worms that's going to open up. This is something the NCAA should have been, really concentrating on all the years they were in power. And I agree, Pags, with the SEC conference and these big market teams that are strong, recruit better than anybody else in the league. And there'll be there's going to be more teams coming over eventually. You trust me on that. The NCA is, is is almost like it's 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 uh you know it's it's mutant done. Right. Well you know and I I think that they have screwed up so much that it has left the door wide open for all of these super conferences now to just come in and relieve them of their power. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, the NCAA at this point now is not even really a big deal in football. They, they really. don't, they don't have the power. It's now the other sports. So ultimately you're going to see it probably more in, Basketball is going to start to follow suit of football because basketball sure. is the next largest. I mean, football is what covers most of the sporting for all these colleges. Basketball is second. Uh, right. After that, you know, the other sports pale in comparison. Their baseball isn't a big deal in in college. You know, all the women's sports, unfortunately, are not a really big deal in college. They don't generate the income. It's usually football number one. 
basketball uh, a far second, and right. then everything else very far behind. So, and, and so the NCAA yeah. is going to wind up losing most of its power and really only governing everybody else. Yeah, Pat, and probably know, football and basketball is going to be most lost. of those other programs lose money. If it wasn't for football, and to a small extent, some big basketball programs, uh, those sports would not be funded at all. So it's it's just it's crazy how that happens. So Charles Barkley is blaming Anthony Davis for the Lakers uh, not being so successful this year. They're five hundred. Of course, they uh, they were blaming Westbrook because you know he's he's older and he's a little bit of a wildcat, whatever. And now they're looking to fire the coach. So Charles Barkley comes up, and of course he stands and says Westbrook is learning. The coach is a very good coach. But you got one one star in his prime right now. He's not talking about LeBron. He's talking about Anthony Davis, and he should be playing a lot better than he is. Uh, you know what? When I when I heard it, and I heard that in speech in its entirety, uh, and you know, Charles Barkley just doesn't pull punches. You know, and he says what he's, what's on his mind, and he's right. You know, when all is said and done, I mean, he's like, listen, you got all these geezers around you. You know, and you are the one that's really going to make it happen. And you're not, you're not producing. You're not the one holding your end of the bargain. And I, I got to imagine that, you know, as Anthony Davis, you hear that it, it actually may be, you know, that may be some bulletin board stuff that you look at every day to help maybe energize you. It, but realistically, he's the kid on the court with a whole bunch of really old men. And uh, I just don't see, to be honest, I I look at this like I look at the Sixers. And the Sixers, I feel, and the Lakers, they're just got to get into the playoffs. And then they need that switch to turn on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would look for the Lakers to to make a run after the All-Star break. And all they got to do is just tread water enough to get into uh, to be in the playoff mix, so that once they, once we get past the All Star break, that they will be able to get in there. And then once you're in there, I mean, it, this is a lot different. You know, basketball now, when you have the players that can produce, you can move forward. It's just it, it's it's starting to become a little bit more like hockey, where. If, as long as you make it into the playoffs, you have an opportunity to get to the Stanley Cup if you're playing well and you've got a good goalie. You have a great center who's all of a sudden playing out of his mind in the playoffs. The, that can carry you a long way. And the West isn't as strong as it used to be. No, it's not. It's really not. Um, I mean, San Antonio is playing lights out right now. Um, and they probably I, – I think they're going to do it this year. I think they're going. But we'll see what happens over there. Um so let's take a quick look around the NBA uh, packs. Right now, I'll give you the eight teams on top in the East and the West. You got the Nets at 17 and 8, the Bulls at 17 and 9, the Bucks at 16 and 10, the Heat 15 and 11, the Wizards at 15 11, and the 76ers 14 and 11, Cleveland 14 and 12. In the West, you got the Warriors at 21 and 4, Suns 20 and 4, Jazz 17 7. The Grizzlies 14-11, the Clippers 14-12, and the Lakers at 13-12. 
Um, any surprises right now uh, with that top eight? I mean, we're a quarter of the way through the season. What are your surprise teams in the top eight right now, Pax? How well the Warriors are playing. I know that they've got a good team, but to be 21 and four uh, has been really, uh, uh, they've gone over and above their expectations, even for themselves. And I think that that's, that's been some of the things that I see right now. Uh, I, you know, I, I, it's also the surprise is how many good teams are on the bottom end of those, you know, uh, of those uh, standings. You know, yeah. again, the Sixers, the Sixers, I'm not surprised because I see them all the time. You know what I mean? But uh, like, you know, and, and the Lakers, I'm not surprised because they're old, you know, but the Clippers, what's going on with them? You know what I mean? Why are they so low? Uh, just the fact that these things are happening right now. I Again, I, I think that the season isn't going to start until after the All-Star break and that all these teams right now realize that. Why go out and kill yourself? Just just be able to again tread water till you get to the the meat of the schedule when you really need to start to turn it on. And you're going to see the cream rise to the top because it doesn't matter winning some of these games now, as long as you get into the dance. And once you get into the dance, you, you start dancing. Well, you know, you know, Pags, that's that's all well and good. But suppose you tread water, you're near you're in the top eight, and then you can have major injury along the way. That may knock you out of the top eight. Man. It you might. I mean? Yeah. So I it mean, might. I, I and the Lakers I, are probably the ones that are, are the ones that are most likely to have that happen because you've got the average age of that team is what 32, 33 years old. You know, it's like it's it's definitely it's a bunch of old men and Anthony Davis. You know, so and so the biggest problem would be an injury to Anthony Davis. Right. You know, you get an injury to him because you can withstand an injury to LeBron. You can withstand an injury to Russell Westbrook, who I don't believe is even a good player anymore anyways. I mean, he can still shoot the rock, but you need to give it to him 50 times to get 30 points. <coughs> so, I, I mean, those are the types of things that I see and that are very possible. But, I mean, there's injuries in all sports, and you can't really help that when somebody gets injured. you well, got to take that chance. That's why I think you should, in regular season, at least get in the top four there and, and, and have a shot if something does happen. At least position yourself near the end of the year in case something happens. You know very well with your Sixers team, with Embiid, Embiid gets hurt a lot. And he's been hurt a lot over the years. And the, the greatest ball player as he is, if something happens to Embiid before the playoffs, you guys are all done. And, and it's Well, same, and we saw that two years ago in the bubble. The same, the, the same thing with the Nets, right? The Nets with Durant. I mean, <laughs> I, re, I wherever Irving is now down in Bermuda or something or flying in throughout the Southeast Asia, wherever he is, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any chance he's coming back this year. And if he tries to come back in the playoffs, if I was a coach or the, the, the management of the, uh, the Nets, I would, I would turn him away, but you know, I know they won't, but the, uh, the, uh, you know, if, yeah, think about how, how rested he'd be. Yeah. Yeah. I know. he'll. Be I mean, if he's staying in basketball shape, you know, which I doubt that he is. You know what I mean? That's part of the problem when you're gallivanting around the world, you know, and, you know, all of a sudden the playoffs come and you're like, all right, I'm back, guys. And and if he's in playoff shape, all of a sudden it's, it's another, you know, even coming off the bench, you know, he would be a fantastic sixth man. So, so, so if you were the coach and Irvin shows up before the playoffs, you'd play him. Yeah. How you do you would, I would. I would. 
I just generally I wouldn't. I, I know because and, and and I can appreciate the fact that you're thinking about principle. I'm thinking about rings. Yeah, well, listen you know, to so. me. To me, to, to to even give him a chance to get a ring after uh, after skipping the season, I would rather lose, Pag. I really would. Like I'd rather I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm sounding like Jack over here. What's going on? You know, you know, for some reason you get alongside me, and that kind of stuff happens. I mean, you know, I I just I just think there has to be some kind of rules, and and otherwise you don't have a good team. And even if Irvin did come back and play, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I I would I wouldn't have any part of it. So so let's talk a little bit about the scores uh, that we had last night. Uh, the 76ers did beat Charlotte, one ten to one hundred six. Embiid had thirty two points and eight rebounds. The Knicks lose again to the Pacers. This time one twenty two to one hundred two. R.J. Barrett was a leading scorer for the Knicks. The Nets lose to the Rockets. That's without Durant. Speaking of something that would really hurt a team, Durant going down. Um, we had uh, Harden with 25 points and 11 rebounds, but he played a he played a it was a rough game for him. He didn't play as well as he normally does. Of course, going right. back to Houston, the Celtics lose to the Clippers 114 to 111. Jason Tatum with uh, 29 points and 10 rebounds. The Celtics has always been a mystery to me, right? They got three, two, I would say, legitimate superstars in basketball, right? They have they have they have Brown, they have Tatum. And it's like they can't get that next guy. They can't. They can't put it together with the team. And the team is not a bad team. Uh, bags. It's really not. They can beat almost anybody if they're on. And 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 you know they're always around five hundred. What is it with the Celtics? I mean, I know Philly's your team, but if you look at the Celtics, what's their problem? Is it big guy? Is it guards? Is it just chemistry? What is it? Coaching. I think it's coaching. You know, I I think that. Uh, the egos in the locker room dictate how how the play happens, and you know I, I'd be willing to bet that there is not as much cohesiveness behind the scenes, and that you know that equates to bad play on the court. Uh, you know, I, 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 a buddy of mine said, you know, a team that drinks together wins together, and. That really does speak some volume to even the, in, on the professional level. I know that these guys get paid, but you got to like each other. And when you don't have that cohesiveness in the locker room, it shows out on the playing field. And I feel like that that may be some of what's going on, that they've got a lot of good parts, but they don't equal a team. And I feel like that that's what's going on with the, the Celtics right now. Didn't the Celtics just replace their coach not too long ago? I mean, didn't, didn't, they, didn't they just turn that over and turn that whole team, try to turn that whole team around, or am I, am I missing it? And I, I'm To be honest, I, I can't answer a lot of that because I don't know. I don't follow the Celtics as much because I'd rather them lose all the time. You know, so, <laughs> but, I, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I feel like that they've got – I mean, Ainge is still the guy who's running the show over there, isn't he? He's still the GM. You know, I got to imagine that it's still his people. And uh, as far as they're losing, I'm happy. And probably most well, of Philadelphia are happy. Yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, there's been there's been talk about getting rid of your coach, too, just to let you know. And mine. I mean, you know what? You know, well, what, what drives me crazy right with the Knicks right now? The Knicks last year had an identity. And we're going to get to this throughout the sports talk because identity means something that you're talking about, right? You got you got you got to have chemistry 
And you got to be real good at one thing. I mean, you could be average at a lot of things. But one thing you got to be real good at. Last year, the Knicks had an outstanding defense. That's what got them there. That's what got them the four seed. It wasn't because they had an offense. They, really, they didn't score hardly any points. So they took they flip-flop and they try to go for scores, right? They get Fournier. They get Walker. Um, you know, they got these young guys coming up. And they're playing these young guys now more than they have. But it's like they lost that defensive uh, identity packs where they could put their brakes on 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 the 76ers once in a while or the Bucks once in a while. They just they just went the other way. And I, I to me, it's crazy. You kind of build off what you're good at. Too many teams try to switch around. You know, the Nets are what the Nets are, right? They're a scoring team. If all three of them are there, they're going to outscore you. The 76ers last year, the year before that, good defensive team, but played some offense. But you had a real good defense. And I think a lot of times when teams make adjustments, they go backwards instead of forwards. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes, I agree. And, you know, it's hard just because you took the step and you're there, you were there the previous year, doesn't mean that that's where you start from. You know, and that's part of the issue. That's why you see a lot of teams regress. You know, it's like, the Celtics, uh, they went backwards a little bit, and they brought back somebody who they didn't necessarily want to get rid of in the first place. And you know, so they he went to Sixers. Sixers got rid of him because he wasn't a fit here. Goes somewhere else. The, the Celtics trade for him. They get him back over there, and and now he's like, I don't even know if he plays much anymore. You know, it's like they they just their identity is is failing, and. When you think about an identity, an identity comes from the coach. The players, the players have to emulate that identity. So if you've got a player like, so for instance, the Lakers, uh, you, you could fire whatever coach you want to fire over there. The coach over there at the Lakers is LeBron. You know, why not just make him a player coach? That's right. what should be. Nobody else should be on there. Give him the two salaries, you know, whatever, and, and just have him be the coach because he is the coach of that team. Everybody else is just is just is Tyron Lue. That's who it it's is. It's Tyron Lue. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel so, the same. Uh, hey, listen, I feel the same thing with the Nets. I don't think their head coach is the head coach. He was a great basketball player, one of the greatest of, of all time, a Hall of Famer, easy. But he got there because the players wanted him there, and because he's not going to go in there and challenge him. And to me, well, but not only that, but not only that, he also knows what it takes to win, and you know it's. It becomes a matter of when you have a coach in that regards, you want to have somebody who's got a lot of experience, who's able to say, okay, this is what you're seeing and explain to them what they're seeing so that it makes sense to them. You have to show them that you understand and that you can relate to what it is that they're dealing with on the court and that they, that you have an answer for them. And that when they start to use that answer, it works. And a lot of cases, when you have these high-profile players and these, these highly paid players, and the coach is only making $5 million a year, well, why would the player want to listen? So the only reason why they want to listen is because they want to understand the experience. Now, if you've got a really young team, you know, a coach can be demanding. As the team gets older and you get more experience with on that team, that coach is no longer listening, you know, being listened to the same way. You can't demand from the player because the player is going to be like, 
man, I, I don't want to hear what you got to say. And my play is going to dictate whether you get to stay or not. You know, so, and I feel like that that happens more in the NBA than in any other sport. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you, at least in part there, Pags. I, what I don't really see is there's not too many NBA greats that are good coaches or any in any sport. Because what they did was was natural, was talent, and kind of got developed. But not all players are like that. A lot of players need to be developed. A lot of players need to learn the game, even though they're coming from college. Some even come from high school. And that respect you get uh, as a coach, especially as you said with a young team. I'll go with 100% with you there. I mean, if you could show them how to work as a team, develop the players. I mean, I don't care what what kind of superstar you are. You'll respect that. I don't think the money comes into it as much as the power, right? LeBron James can call who his coaches are, or they're going to lose him. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant, uh, another one of the greatest, right? If he if he's unhappy with a coach, they're probably going to lose him. So I think they got their coaches walking on eggshells, and that's not going to lead to anything good in the end, Pags. I don't think anyway. I think the Bucks are strong because they've got a, a coach they listen to. They got a superstar who's not using his power as much as these other players are. And that's why the Bucs went all the way and won the championship. San Antonio, same way. Well, San Antonio, San Antonio is the better – because Popovich, Popovich has the charisma of a coach that demands the respect. And right. that's part – that's the hard part of this, is that you want a coach that demands that respect – the problem is, is that you can't demand it, though. It's got to be earned. And there's not many people that can walk into the room and take over the room like that. And that's that's what it takes, especially because you have egos aplenty. Sure. And more in the NBA than in any other sport. I mean, you think about it this way. You got the Angels in baseball who have the two best players, arguably the two best players in baseball right now between Trout and Otani. And they still can't get, you know, anywhere. They can't even sniff the playoffs, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had a coach who was worthwhile. And, and, you know, Mike Sosha, you know, doing his thing out there. Still couldn't, still couldn't make it happen. You could probably put uh, La Russa over there and they're not going to go very, very far because they just, they're, they're, just way out there. You know what I mean? It's just that they, they don't, they, they don't listen. And because they don't listen, they don't play a certain way because they don't play that certain way. They don't make it to the playoffs basketball. It's much more prevalent. That's why you yeah. see great teams. And the, you're right. Uh, Giannis doesn't, you know, Giannis respects the coach, yeah. listens to the coach, you know, and that has something to do with upbringing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he was, yeah. he was brought up a very specific way. I mean, right. even, even the black Mamba, Listen to his coach because right. he was brought up a very specific way. You don't do that. You don't talk back to your coach. Yeah, you may have a disagreement. You may have to discuss certain things, but that's your coach. Your coach is going to be the one that leads you, and that's why they won championships. He didn't take advantage of that. He didn't say, okay, well, I'm not going to listen to what you got to say. I'm going to do it myself. You know, and that's – you know, you need to have the guidance. And some of these players feel like they could do it on their own. True. And, you know, uh, Pat Riley was another one of those coaches, right? He, he walked on, he was bigger than the room all the time. But I think a lot of it 
that we don't take in consideration is the front office down pegs, right? Because the owners in the NBA are involved in a lot more in the NBA than they are even in football, hockey, or baseball. I mean, they're, they're, they, they can get on the court. I mean, these guys are all over. You know, we talk about, you know, the, the NFL and their owners, but NBA, they're all over it. They make huge decisions as a smaller team. And then the GM, which I don't even know if GM has power anymore because the front office is not as significant as it was in the past by far. I mean, I think a lot gets lost up in their bags. And I think that has a lot to do with the coaches, the players listening to them, and, you know, as far as the team's success. Because let me tell you, if the if the owner of the team backs the Lakers coach, it really don't matter what LeBron thinks, right? It don't matter anymore. If the owner says, hey, listen, that's your coach. Like it or not. You want to leave? Leave. Whatever it is, that's your coach. Deal with it. LeBron's going to deal gonna with tell, it. Are you, are you going to tell that to LeBron? And is LeBron going to deal with that like that? Yeah, because LeBron may decide not to deal with that. And then, you know, you know he's what? all huffy puffy. And then next really? thing you know, this is what happens when the inmates run the asylum. This is why I'm saying if the owner did do that, LeBron would have to listen. Have to. It's, it's, I mean, he's a, he's a last leg of his career to begin with. This is his last shot really to get a championship. Unless he goes choice the Nets, you know? So anyway, I think that is lost a lot because we blame the coaches a lot. You know, we blame, uh, uh, you know, the players. But really, there's no guidance coming from up above anymore. Very few, anyway. Maybe in a couple cases there is. But you look at Utah Jazz. Nobody still, even after they had a great year last year, hardly anybody knows who the players are over there. If you don't follow basketball closely, you don't know. Utah Jazz has good management. You just know that. Right. Because they're, they're consistently good. So Yeah, but, the, you know, the problem with the Utah Jazz is that they can't finish it. You know, right. they, you know, they get whiny, you know, that was the problem with them last year that they, you know, once things start not going their way, they start crying. And when they start crying, the game's over. You, you got to realize, realize two pegs and all great teams. If you go back to the Celtics, the Pistons, the Bulls, they went there a few times before they won the championship. They had to beat certain teams to get there. Right. I mean, the, you know, 76ers, had to beat a couple teams before they actually made the championship. Pissed, all of them had to do that. Celtics, too. And I know it's a lot different now because the players don't stay together as much. But if you get a team that is very good basketball players, I'm not talking about superstars, but really good, and you band them together, and and you got control of these players, and you got uh, uh, these players that are happy to be competing, you'd raise a little hell in the NBA. I guarantee you that. I agree, but you think about you think about like so. Let's use Detroit as the example. I mean, they had Chuck Daly. Chuck Daly was an amazing coach, you know, and he was he they they had a swagger about them. I mean, they were the bad boys of basketball. So I'm using them specifically. Once that once that era was over, you know, they needed Larry Brown. Now, you know, and I'm bringing up Larry Brown specifically because that guy, he is. just a a student of the game, but yet also a professor of the game. You know what I mean? He's still learning the game. He's still well on it. And he could probably coach an NBA team now if he wasn't 82 years old, you know, and probably have them bring them really far in the playoffs. You know, again, the reason why he didn't work in Philadelphia was because Allen, as much as they had a great relationship between Allen Iverson and, and Larry Brown, we're talking about practice was the problem. 
you know, that he just didn't want to practice that way. And that is a staple of the way Larry Brown coaches. But then he went to Detroit again, you know, with a team that was really mishmash. And he's like, all right, we play this way. We win, we win championships and they won. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and then he's went to college and all he's done is won over there too. So it's, I mean, that's, there are certain people that just have it and there's certain people that don't. And uh, unless you have somebody that has it, you know, it's, you're not going to go very far and these players are going to run the asylum. And then once the players run the asylum, you don't have a chance. Yeah, that's very true, Pags. Everything you said there, I pretty much agree with. So Card hasn't showed up yet, but anyway, we're still going to start a hockey our hockey uh, report, whether he makes it or not. I got one of the best hockey uh, analysts in the league as my co-host right now. So let's uh, let's see what we can do here. Sir, every Thursday, folks. Uh, you know, Carter is going to school college, plus he's working, plus he's doing a bunch of so Carter is is, is a young man who's uh, very busy as opposed to an older guy like me who's terribly busy. So uh he'll learn that he can do this without sleep eventually packed, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard work. It's hard work. But uh being a young kid, you know, it's you know, who knows? Maybe he got uh you know, met a girlfriend last night. He might have. You never know. Maybe he had, <laughs> maybe, he had a, maybe he had a little uh get together. There's nothing wrong with that either. So Pax, again, let's let's talk a little bit about the standings and the East Conference in Atlantic Division. You got Carolina at 17 and four, Toronto at 18. 18 and 7. Tampa Bay is 16 and 5. And Detroit at 13 and 10. In the Metropolitan Division, you have the Capitals at 16 and 4. The Rangers at 17 and 5. The Hurricanes at 17 and 6. The Penguins at 12 and 8. Over in the uh in the uh Western Conference, yes, uh the Central Division. You have the Wild at 18 and 6, Avalanche at 14 and 7, the Blues at 13 and 8, the Predators at 14 and 10 in the Pacific. You've got the Flames 15 and 6, the Ducks 14 and 8, the Oilers 16 and 8, and the Knights at 15 and 10. What are the biggest surprises? Again, we're quarter way through the season. And you can't get these games back. I mean, everybody says, ah, you gotta get in the playoffs. Yeah, you gotta get there. And with a quarter season gone, that's a significant amount already. What are the biggest surprises right now with the teams that are in the top fours of those divisions, Pat? Uh the fact uh Florida, big surprise. The Minnesota Wild, big surprise. And the fact, you know, the Rangers, Carolina, I mean, Washington's good, obviously, but the Rangers and Carolina both, I I mean, I knew that Carolina had a pretty good team, uh, but the Rangers are a little bit of a surprise. Uh, The the way that they're scoring goals and doing their thing and and, uh, just gutting games out. I mean, to only have lost really – I mean, they've lost five. They've lost three in overtime. So they've been, you know, doing really well. And to be second in the Eastern, in the Metropolitan Division is a lot, you know. So I I feel like that's a really big surprise. Uh, In the West, uh, Minnesota, you know, it's 
you know, I've been following a little bit about Minnesota because obviously RGM from the Flyers came from there. And I wasn't really happy with that because I didn't think Minnesota was doing really well when they hired him from the wild. And I'm like, well, why would we do that if, if this team hasn't done anything? And since he's left, they've only gotten better. And that just kind of tells me that it, it might be the, the beginning of the end for RGM here in Philadelphia, because right now I, we are a mess. We are an right. absolute mess. And I, you know, and it's like the only team that's worse than us is, you know, Carter's team, the Islanders who wound, you know, wound up going to the conference finals last year. So it's, it's just really an amazing situation in terms of uh, how different the good teams are playing in comparison to the bad teams. And right now the Flyers are a bad team. And, you know, as bad as I, as much as I hate to say it, the Rangers are playing you know, out of their minds. And even Minnesota Wild is playing out of their minds. And, you know, it's, those are surprises to me. Big yeah, surprises. I mean, I mean, I know there were some moves made by some teams in the offseason. I think uh, the Islanders have, we, you know, talk about losing identity. I mean, the Islanders have lost their identity totally. A strong defensive team creating goals off their defense. And they got a little older on their defense. And uh, really, instead of going for the youth, they try to grab a couple of vets. And I think that really backfired on them so far anyway. Uh, the Rangers are total youth. They're playing their young guys. Uh, they had a rough rough night last night uh, with a new goalie that, that made his debut. But, uh, I mean, these guys are playing hard and, and fast. And, and, you know, when you say hard and fast, you think of really good teams. And I don't know if the Rangers' defense will hold up if they do make the playoffs. But for sure, it's a huge step for them this year, even only a quarter of the way through, Pax. Uh, I agree. And, you know, I, I look at uh, goal differential. You know, and their goal differential for the uh, for the Rangers is a plus eleven. So be only to have lost only in in essence eight games. You know, for that because they've got they got five losses and three overtime losses and seventeen wins. To only have a plus eleven means that when you're on, you you're fighting out and you're gritting out games. But when you're off, you're getting spanked. You know that that's that you are losing by a lot of points there, but. Obviously, they're they're doing something right because they have 17 wins in comparison to eight losses in total. So they're definitely doing something right over there. And uh, will they come back to earth? Possibly. You know, it's it's a long season. Being 25% of the way done doesn't mean that you've got, you know, that you've cemented your way into the playoffs. Uh, it's usually, it, you know, they look at it as if you are uh, – if you have made it by Christmas or by New Year's, by New Year's Day, if you are a certain place, you typically will make the playoffs. We got to see how this the final run is and where they, you know, where they stack up, and see if these other teams come on. Uh, I, I have, I have very little faith in my Flyers right now, and I feel like that the Flyers are are are, are definitely pulling up the rear of the league uh, for a reason. So, yeah, I mean, and that's hard for me to. Let's talk. Let's talk about the games real quick, right? You had uh, the Avalanche beating the Rangers seven to three. You had the Flyers uh, losing the Devils three to nothing. Um, I guess for the Flyers, you had Brat McLeod and Mercer scoring uh, to beat the Flyers for the Devils. The Bruins lost to the Canucks two to one. Uh, Bergeron with a goal there uh, for um, the Bruins. The Bruins are, are are playing steady hockey. I still think they're alive in that conference, no problem. 
the biggest, again, the biggest disappointments to me this year right now are the Flyers and the Islanders. Um, I don't know whether they're going to have to change. I mean, we've been talking about the uh, Flyers GM for a long time on the, on the show pack since last year. Um, is, is this it? I mean, will he get fired before the season's out if they don't start improving? Yeah, well, I mean, so here's the issue that I have is that they have fired their coach. AV is gone. You know, right. and they've got an interim coach. And if you're going to make a change on the executive level, do you want that guy making the coaching change now? Or do you want to, I mean, and is that what they're trying to figure out? That they're trying to figure out, okay, are we going to change our GM and then have him bring in a coach? Right. Or are we going to have this GM pick a coach, maybe pick the wrong coach, and then... Because the Flyers love to bring players back, and I know that Rick Tockett is is a lot of, uh, you know, they just they just put his number up in the rafters. He's in the Ring of Honor and things of that nature. And you know, I think about it, and I'm like, well, what did Rick Tockett ever win? I mean, he may have won a cup with Pittsburgh, but you know, as a coach, he's never been good. I think the only thing he's ever been really good at was taking bets. Uh, which uh, I won't get into very much, but it's, you know, that's, you know, there was a whole big scandal about that through hockey. He was like, he was the, uh, the bookie for the NHL. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, ultimately is the coach going to make the difference? Now you've, you've already heard from me. I feel that the problem is even above the GM, that this is a corporation owned entity anymore and because there's no real ownership nobody really cares and yeah. you have paul holmgren who's really still calling the shots over there and that guy has not won a championship in any in any facet of the game and that is bothersome to me when that guy is making all of the things i want winners you know the Islanders, I thought, did a little bit right, even though it's not working out for them. I thought they did a little bit right. They needed somebody to figure out how to get over the hump. So they brought in Chara. Chara knows how to get over the hump because he's done it a few times. Now, Chara's definitely past his prime. You know, he's over He's over the hill when it comes to this. And he's he's in his second year of he's played too long for too many. You know, he's played two years too long. That being said... I liked the, the thought process in having him there because you wanted to get the mindset of saying, hey, we can do this. We've been here. We got to the same place twice, you know, and now we just got to get over the hill. We got to get over that last hump. And it's always the hardest to do. There's a reason why the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in sports, you know, because it's very, very difficult. And if you make it into the playoffs, you have the opportunity to win. Because a hot goaltender and a hot goal scorer can beat any team any day. And that's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, the bad teams, the bad teams just don't have anybody stepping up. The Flyers can't seem to buy a goal right now. You know, and, you know, it's, it's like when they get themselves behind and it's like, okay, how do you get yourself out of this? And this is definitely, uh, you know, a case of quicksand where they're just, they can't seem to get themselves right. And, you know, that first win is going to be a big deal. Flyers have lost 10 games straight now. You know, that first win is going to start the pendulum going in the opposite direction. And you may see a five or a six game winning streak. That doesn't mean everything's right. It just means that, you know, the pendulum's swinging the other way. And now the bounces are going that way. Where as of right now, I just don't see that happening. And, you know, the teams that are like the Flyers, uh, 
the Canadians, as I, I see Carlos talking about that, the Canadians are the same type of situation. They're just, you know, they've got the talent, but they're just not performing. And I, I like I said, I feel that this is a, you know, this is starting from the very top down uh, until you get rid of Paul Holmgren and, and change the executive portion of this. You're not going to change the whole thought process of this franchise. And that's where I have my biggest issue. Well, two things. One, one, uh, a similarity I could name was with the Yankees when they went into the late 60s, early 70s, CBS bought them. And when you have a major corporation like that buying somebody just to get ratings and somebody, and people that don't know nothing about the sport, of course, it really damages it damages the Yankees for years until Steinbrenner bought them. And and when you have a big corporation, uh, not, not not a solo corporation, I'm talking about like CBS or you know or 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 uh, a, a a corporation that has a corporation ladder. When you got somebody like that running the team, that gets lost in the sauce. A lot of times, it's just like who look who we own. You know, it's like it's like a toy to them instead right. of. Uh, uh, a something that really they worry about making money off. Secondly, what you talked about the Rangers was really a good point, Pags, because it's the teams the Rangers are beating, and not that this is bad, they're beating the teams at a lower level by a lot. But the bigger teams are the ones, the upper tier teams are the ones they're having a little bit of problems with. So right now they're beating, of course, I don't even believe I'm saying this, they're beating who they should beat. I mean, what were the Rangers, right? So they're beating teams that are at that lower level sometimes by a lot, but as they're growing, right, they're, they're facing off about against the better teams in the league that are beating them right now, or, or once in a while they come up and beat them. But this is a learning process for the Rangers. Now, do I expect them to go to the Stanley Cup this year? Not even close. If they make the playoffs, man, that's a successful season for the Rangers, isn't it? I, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, it's, you know, I, I hate even saying this because I'm I'm not a fan of the Rangers whatsoever. Uh, but Zibanejad is, you know, has been the the best player on that team for a long time, and everybody else, like he was so far above, and everybody was so far behind. It, it's caught up. They 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 had to have done some se- some work in the off season where they just got together and they. You know, again, maybe they're enjoying each other. Maybe they, you know, again, this goes back to the teams that drink together, win together type thing. Maybe they started to become better friends. Maybe they went out and they actually practiced more in the offseason. Maybe they just, they took it upon themselves to put in the extra work. And by putting in the extra work, it's showing the dividends. And those are the types of things. You know, so, uh, you know, different than all the other sports in hockey, you know, if you make a run at the right time, right. you could propel yourself. Again, there, you know, it's not so long ago. It's less than 11 years ago. The Flyers got in on a shootout against the Rangers as a seven seed. The Canadians made it in that same day, the last game of the season as the eighth seed, and that was the conference finals. Right. So, and that, you know, the Flyers wind up going to the Stanley Cup, losing to, you know, the Blackhawks, but even still, they made it there. You know what I mean? And that was a seven seed. That hockey, amongst everything else, can you can ride a very hot goaltender. And a goaltender who decides that he don't want to let a puck past him couldn't win a Stanley Cup by himself. You know, yeah. even you know, even back in 1987, when you had Ron Hextall going against all those Hall of Famers on the Edmonton Oilers, where at the end of the at the end of the series, 
he was still the MVP of the series, even though they lost the Stanley Cup. You know, and it's that's because that's how much a goaltender means yeah. to yeah. you know a goaltender is a quarterback. The right. goaltender is the quarterback uh, on a football field. Same type of situation. A goaltender has that type of play. If a, a goaltender with that type of play can propel a team beyond everything else. Oh, I agree. I agree, Pags. Folks, we're going to take our first time out here, our first commercial break. Back on the other side, we got a lot to get through. We got college football going crazy. We got the NFL. We got to get to. We might even mention the Major League Baseball, even though we all know where that that is at right now. But we could talk about that too. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back after these messages as I play some of the greatest commercials of all time. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those Speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVET. Each year, AMVET's members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVET's posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. I'm Chichita Banana and I'm here to say I am the top banana in the world today. Now you know the best bananas in the land. So don't slip up. With an inferior brand. When it says Chiquita, it's a very good day to buy bananas. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. I heard you want to be a frito bandido like me. You do? Then you must sing the bandido song. Let's sing together. You just follow the bouncing fritos corn chips bag. Ay, 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 ay. I am the Frito Bandido. I like Fritos corn chips. I love them, I do. I want Fritos corn chips. I'll get them from you. 
drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. He's zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt, that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink... How's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill. But they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. Welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m., with me this morning, my special guest host, the Philly sports guy, Jamie Pags, as we go through all your sports updates and information. Uh, a couple things I want to let people know that we are going to be heading over to the Roku channel, uh, where the Northeast Streaming Sports will be presenting live shows, our tape shows, everything, categories, specials, all kinds of stuff over there. So uh, we'll let you know when we get up. Hopefully you uh, go ahead and put your Roku us uh, find the Northeast Streaming Sports Roku channel, put it on your television, and you'll see all the shows all the time, shooting for 24 hours of sports. So uh, we're in the process of starting to get that together to launch it end of December, beginning of January. So uh, stay tuned for that, folks. Um, Also, check out Northeast Streaming Sports YouTube channel. A lot of great shows, some shows that aren't on Facebook. And uh, go over there and subscribe for us and help us keep growing because with your support is what's made it all worthwhile so far. It's been great. Uh, I'm I'm over a year now on, on the Mac and Jack Sports Show uh, now. Um, I know Pags has been doing this for a long time, and we appreciate all your support. And we love doing these sports, talking sports with you, uh, sharing your comments and stuff like that. Remember, we're your personal sports network where you have a say uh during the shows we all take comments on our shows from you all so uh together is kind of how we built this so packs let's get to college football college football this is the time of year the bowls are coming up we got the heisman uh trophy finalists up there we got the playoffs coming up and i want to i want to start with the uh heisman trophy finalists first 
And it's an interesting crew, of course, to our quarterbacks. I'm giving you the top three that, that I read about this morning a little bit. And uh, we have Bryce Young from Alabama, of course, the young quarterback there. We have Kenny Pickett, uh, quarterback of Pittsburgh, who's been having a good year. And we got a defensive end, Aiden uh, Hutchinson, uh, defensive end from Michigan. And I think this is a good shot because I don't think it's a real strong field this year. I think it's a good shot that maybe a defensive end gets the Heisman Trophy this year. What are your thoughts? No, no, <laughs> I, 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 and not, and not for, not because he hasn't earned it. I, I, I mean, I, I don't follow much of college, but I tell you, I've heard about this guy, and with the Eagles having so many first round picks i'm like well maybe there's a chance that we can get this guy uh you know hopefully miami loses a couple more games and we can make that happen and get close to that pick uh but i think he's going to be a top five pick in general because that type of generational talent doesn't happen very often uh he's definitely uh made waves and the fact that he's even in the conversation for heisman really is a testament to his play in general i i feel that you know, the Heisman just begins and ends in Alabama just because of the way that they play. And this this quarterback has done a little bit more than some of the other quarterbacks uh, in the past. I mean, he's beaten everybody else's quarterback record in Alabama. And Alabama's been a good team for the better part of 10 years. So, and he's already, you know, eclipsed all of those records. So, I, I think it's going to start and end there. The guy from Pittsburgh has also done great. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh had a great season and you never think of Pittsburgh as, as a powerhouse. And here they are number 12 in the, the BCS ranking. So it's, that's actually, again, a, a testament on how he's played. I, the fact that those two guys have played so well is going to eclipse the fact that, you know, Hutchinson should even, you know, be more of a consideration. I don't expect that he'll get any first, you know, you know, first place votes uh, that he'll be a lot of second place votes and he, he will have second place locked down just in that alone because whoever, whoever they pick is going to pick the quarterback first, him second, and then the other quarterback third. And I feel that he'll have second place locked in great, but he's not going to win the, the Heisman, unfortunately. Well, you know, Pegs, Alabama has had a great team for 10 years, but they haven't been always a passing team. In fact, they were a running team for most of the 10 years. And so to eclipse the Alabama quarterback uh, records is not a really, really that big a deal. I mean, it's not like he's eclipsing the uh, Boise State or the Brigham Young quarterback, which all they do is throw uh, records out there. But I really believe that I'm voting for uh, Michigan's defensive end, even though I don't have a uh, – I'm just going to vote for him and send it in, even though my vote doesn't count. Um, but I, I really believe this, this year – and it hasn't happened uh, in a long time. And no defender, uh, unless you play special teams and your defensive back and you handle the ball, uh, really gets the Heisman Trophy. It, at one time, it was a big running back award, and, and now it's a big quarterback award. And if that's all they're going to consider is quarterbacks, then they should rename uh, the award. I've always had a problem with that. It's not the Heisman. It's the best quarterback in the nation award. And that's what they should change the award to if that's what it's going to be. It's supposed to be the best – college football player and just because you play quarterback and you get the limelight all the time doesn't mean you're the best that's for sure so 
I, I think the, I think he's got a shot, Bax. You're probably right. I, I have a feeling it's going to go to the Pittsburgh quarterback, to tell you the truth, uh, because Bryce Young, even though he is a good quarterback, uh, you know, the pit quarterback, as you said, Pittsburgh hasn't had a real uh, significant team since Tony Dorsett played there when they were, I think they were national champions, and that's quite a long time ago. So uh, I have a feeling you're right. It's going to go to quarterback. I probably, I think it's going to go to McKinney. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I would love uh, for, you know, for uh, – Hutchinson to, to go ahead and grab that award this year. That would really set the tone for uh, future years, hopefully. So we'll see what happens with that. Well, and, and I guess there's always possible if you're splitting the number one votes and you're getting number one votes and number three votes, it's possible that if, if, if he gets all the number two votes and does squeeze a couple of number one votes, if you do have some people that are defensive-minded and, and put him as number one, he could squeeze it. You know, that's I, again, I don't know how that ranks in terms of is is one worth five, second three, third one. You know, I don't know how the pointing point systems work, uh, but he has had an amazing season. And whether he gets the the Heisman or not is not you know that doesn't matter because he he probably should win Defensive Player of the Year. You know, for college football, he is going to be a top five draft pick if not number one. Because realistically, you know how I like it. You know, if I'm going to draft, I like big guys. You start with the offensive and defensive line, and they're worth their weight in gold. Forget quarterbacks. Quarterbacks should be second and third round. Or you could be Tom Brady and pick number 199, you know, and still wind up being, you know, the best quarterback that ever played the game. That all being said, I feel that that teams right now put way too much weight on a quarterback position early in the first round. Look at Chicago. Look at the Jets. You know, it seems like every three years they're picking a new quarterback. And that quarterback doesn't seem to live up to the standards of being a first round or a number one pick where I feel that offensive linemen, defensive linemen, you know, those picks, those those types of, you know, talents don't come around that often. We saw it with Micah Parsons. He probably should have been a top five pick. If he didn't have those things happen to him where it kind of lowered his stock some, you know, the Cowboys wouldn't have gotten him. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's some of the teams that are throwing, you know, some of the NFL teams that throw out some of that stuff to see if they can get that stock to drop a little bit so that they could maybe get them. That that's the type of gamesmanship that they use, that they, they badmouth the player a little bit to see if they can get the stock to drop a little bit where then next thing you know, oh, well, there he is sitting at pick number 14 and I'm going to grab him and he really should have been a top five pick. Yeah, I mean, the things that happened to Parson happened way back in high school. It wasn't like it happened throughout his college career, which is, you know, you grow up a little bit as you as you go through school, I would hope. Um, right. I mean, listen, I understand the game – has changed. I think that, you know, you can win in football with a great offensive line and a great defense and a moderate quarterback. You can't win in football without a good offensive line and a good defense. And as you're talking about these young quarterbacks, you know, you can even go to Trevor Lawrence, who was supposed to be, you know, a, a Hall of Famer the, the moment he stepped on the field. You can't win with those. And you're just going to get them hurt, as Zach Wilson has found out and Justin Fields now has found out that – you can't do it. It's just it's the lower teams that don't have good teams that get the shot at these young quarterbacks first. And that's why Todd Brady was so significant. It wasn't that so much that he was a low draft pick. 
and he made the team, which is tremendous, believe it or not. I mean, just for him to make the Patriots was a big deal. But he came into a great situation on a good, solid team. And that doesn't happen that much. So uh, we see that with Mac Jones right now, right? We see Dallas only – I mean, Dallas. Um, New England only throws the ball three times against Buffalo and wins the game. And Mac Jones completed all three passes. But here you had the significantly greater quarterback, the more experience, the more dynamite quarterback, not be able to do his thing and win the game on his shoulders – with Buffalo, it was just the Patriots' total team effort. Well, you know what? And and, and th- that's what I like about Belichick is that Belichick doesn't look necessarily 100% at the player. He looked at Mack and says, okay, he's a system quarterback. I am a system coach. I need this guy to listen to me. If this kid listens to me, he's going to be the next Tom Brady. And ultimately, and that's what it comes down to. I feel that Cam didn't listen to him as much as he needed to. You know what I mean? He's like, I need you to play this way. Cam didn't play that way. That's why they dropped him. You know, okay, we don't, we're not even going to bother. We're going to start the, you know, the the first day of the rest of our life with this new quarterback and we're going to, you know, win and lose as we see fit. Hence, they lost, you know, five, you know, four of their first six games and now they're on this, you know, winning streak that's ungodly. So it's not, it's not a surprise to me, but it was the same way with Tom Brady. Tom Brady was a system quarterback in Michigan when they had a system going on. And he just says, you listen to my system, you're going to play, and you're going to win and succeed. And that's what's going on. That's why That's why the Patriots have all of a sudden, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing talk now that you know Belichick could win not only coach of the year, but executive of the year because of the moves that he made and he rebuilt the entire team. And now it looks like that they could be a real Super Bowl contender. I don't yeah. think that they're going to get there. I mean, I think that they're a contender. I don't think they get to the Super Bowl, but I think the fact that they have you know, progressed so significantly uh, since last year that it's, you know, it's definitely worth mentioning. You know, it's definitely yeah. amazing yeah. to see. I, I agree with a lot you say there. And there's another point where you bring in a young quarterback, he needs time to develop. A lot of people say, throw him on the field, he'll learn that way. It's, you can do that. Some quarterbacks can do that. Some can't. And when you have a good team, you have a chance to develop this kid because you know if you can run the ball effectively, you still can win games. If you play great defense, you still can win games. And this gives the kid a little bit of buffer where you can actually develop him. We can actually start teaching him you know, how to watch film, how to read defenses. When you're out there in the field, and trust me, I know I, I played the position, you, it's hard to develop because you're just doing – you're going on instinct and you're hoping that everything you practice and all the drills you did helps you on the field. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it don't. So it's very hard to develop a player. There aren't too many Peyton Mannings or Dan Marinos out there. They're not. That start as rookies and make it good. Or even Phil Sims, for that matter, who went through a lot of obstacles – to get where he got. He started as a rookie. It took him a long time to get where he needed to get. So it's very hard for a young kid, especially on a bad team, to develop because you're just thrown in the fire and say, hey, don't get burnt. And that's very hard to do. So Patriots have done it right this year, whether they make the Super Bowl or not. If it's a gut check in a game, I, I called it last week against Buffalo. If it's a gut check and heart and playing together, the Patriots will win. I talked myself into picking them, believe it or not. Um, 
and the wind, of course, helped out a little bit too. So, um, well, but, but but even beyond that, so there there are exceptions to that rule. Joe Burrows, Joe Burrows is, I mean, he's single handedly moved Cincinnati from the dreck of the league, you know, right. to now. I think that they are they are the black horse in the AFC. I feel like that they're going to be the ones that make the biggest waves in the playoffs uh, that I'm sure that they, they probably are not going to win that division, but I think that they are probably more likely to win a playoff game than anything else uh, mm-hmm. and, and actually make, make a disturbance in the, the AFC in, in playoff picture. Yeah. And you could, you could throw Herbert in there with the, the Chargers too, just beat the Bengals. I mean, that's another young quarterback that got, you know, forced, but you got to remember Cincinnati, Rebuilt their offense for for Burroughs. They got some offensive linemen. They drafted. They they got some free agents. Same thing with San Diego. San Diego's a solid team. Not San Diego. Los Angeles Chargers are 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 a solid team. It's not a bad position for these guys to be in. When you go to you go down to Jacksonville, you say, "What the hell's going on down there?" Or you go to the Jets, or you go to you know Houston or whatever. And these teams just aren't good yet. And until they get good, those quarterbacks going to have a Heck of a lot of time trying to adjust and play in the NFL. Some won't make it. Some just won't make it. It's happened before. So, so do you see um, Urban? Meyer, do you see Urban Meyer going to Oklahoma? I don't think so. I think Urban Meyer already won in college. He wants to win in pros. Uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. And whether he wins or loses uh, this stint, I think when Urban Meyer wants to win in the NFL level, he, he's already done it at the college level. He just, in fact, he quit coaching down at college level. Right? He said, "I'm done." So I think this is the only – this is his shot to coach a team. We'll see what happens. He's made some mistakes. Um, and he's realizing that the NFL, as a lot of college coaches do coming up, the NFL is not college football. It's a totally different – totally different game. So yep. so let's get to the let's get to the top four. You got Alabama playing Cincinnati. And I know Cincinnati's the underdog and everybody's the, – the big heart is with Cincinnati. But I'm going to tell you right now, Pags, I have a feeling that game's not even going to be close. I think Alabama trounces Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati has never played a team of this caliber at this time of the year. And Alabama could shows you what they could do against Georgia, who has supposedly the best defense in college. Cincinnati doesn't even have close to the best defense in college. And I, I really believe that, you know, Cincinnati making this far, good story. Don't expect them to upset Alabama. See, and I think a little differently. I, I think that – uh, Alabama has been here number of times that they could, you know, that it wouldn't surprise me if they start to overlook a little bit, you know, because this game isn't mean as much. They're supposed to just, everybody's going to be saying that you're going to trounce all over them. I, I feel like that this makes for, because it's David and Goliath in, in such a way that this could make for one of the biggest upsets ever in NC, you know, and, and, in BCS history and definitely the NCAA history. You know what I mean? I think that it could really be uh, make the ripple effect happen for the rest of time with this BCS and, and the playoff standing. Because the one thing that they do not want is Cincinnati in the finals. They, they, they don't want that because they know that there's going to be maybe a whole 3,000 people that show up from Cincinnati in the national championship game where, uh, of course, Alabama would you know fill out that stadium. 
uh, and, and I, I'm talking a little facetiously. I got to imagine there's going to be more than 3,000 people in there. But yeah. Cincinnati is not, you know, the premier name. And, and I, I just I feel like that this is setting itself up for one of the biggest upset ever. Now, it could absolutely go your way, uh, that Cincinnati is just no match. And unfortunately, if that was to be the case, they are never going to allow another one of these minor conferences to be able to get back into a playoff type of situation again. So well, uh, well, I'm Pat, actually pulling for Cincinnati a lot more than... I know. disagree with you at both points. I think this Cincinnati is the biggest story in college football right now. They want Cincinnati to go to the championship. Trust me, I think the NCAA, and, and, and they're looking at a story, Cincinnati's the story this year. And if they go to play in the championship, win or lose, and beat Alabama, I think the NCAA wants that terribly. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that Nick Saban's not going to – I think, honest to God, and this is not being facetious, I think that Alabama's second-string team could beat Cincinnati. Honestly, the recruiting they have there, I, I think they could. If Cincinnati did win this, I would be – not only shocked, I, I would think that maybe uh, life came to an end and I'm not here anymore. I, I just don't see Cincinnati matching up against a powerhouse like that and winning. But I disagree with you. I think the NCAA wants that to happen. Alabama is great for ratings. Cincinnati going to the national championship, I think, would be huge. Well, here's here's what I think is going to wind. You know, just again, I, this is just me, you know, playing this out in my head where that Cincinnati is going to play this game like it is their Super Bowl, yeah. that they are going to make it a very tough game and then they could win that game. And then the problem will be is that the national championship, you're going to have such a huge letdown because, you know, again, it's hard to maintain that type of, you know, energy level that you're going to need to be able to beat Alabama and then to go up against Georgia or Michigan, you're going to wind up seeing like a romp and it's going to be like a 62 to 3 or 62 to 7 game where they played such a great game against Alabama that whoever they play in the national championships is just going to be a forethought and that's what the NCAA doesn't want to have happen. That's, you know, that's... that it's it's a right idea, but there's just you I could see such a stomping on the national championship because they beat Alabama. And again, like I said, you can't keep that level of intensity. And I think that they're going to be so intense for Alabama that when they try to match that again in the actual national championship, it's just not going to be there. And they're just going to wind up getting walked all over. Well, I'm calling it. Alabama's probably going to win this game by 30 points or more. I'm going to call it right now. You got Michigan going against Georgia. Now, this to me is an interesting game. And, of course, I'll probably be totally wrong. Um, Georgia has a good defense, a great defense, really, right there, the best defense in the in the, in the the country. And it's hard to, to – because the divisions are different, right? The SEC and the Big Ten or the Big 12, whatever the heck it is, the Big Six, um, they don't play the same. So, I mean, it's hard for, to make a, a, a claim like that when you're playing against different level of, of, of teams. And I guess Georgia playing SEC, that gives them a little bit more, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more real of a stat than, than most stats are when you hear like, you know, uh, um, Moorhead State has the number one defense in the country. And, they, you know, where do they play? So that doesn't make sense. That does kind of make sense. Michigan has been in every game. And has only lost one. They lost to Michigan uh, at the end of the game with like 20 Michigan seconds. Michigan State, yeah. Michigan State with 20 seconds left. But they've won some close ones too. And it seems like they're just starting to feel their oats, right? 
the last few games they've destroyed the teams they've played. And they got the old, I'm going to run the ball on you. I got a good defense. I'll throw when I got it. Um, Georgia, good team. I don't know about their, their their offense against another good team. I know they put up a lot of points too. This is a very interesting game. I mean, Michigan is still one of the most popular, historically great colleges in the history of college football. Going against Georgia, who again has been strong all the way back to you know Herschel Walker, right? Herschel Walker, they won the championship back then with him. So this team has been in there before too. Who do you like, Pat? I'd love to say that, you know, I'd like to see Michigan beat Georgia. I just think that it would help uh, catapult the Big Ten into the same category as the SEC. I I just – I don't trust Harbaugh in big games, and I feel like that that's been his M.O. at Michigan, and he's got to go over and above to prove differently. I – you know, the one thing that I think is going for them is that Georgia just did, did lose to Alabama. And usually when a team loses the one game, they lose the second game. And thank God it's not a week, one week after the other. So they do have a time to recoup, figure it out. Because if they were playing this game this weekend, I would definitely pick Michigan. Because after losing a, after losing a heartbreaker, now you got to go up against another team. Usually when a team loses that number one spot, they you know it's hard for them to get it back up again the, you know, because they're deflated. And now they're, you know, they lose another game and, and they get themselves knocked out of the, you know, knocked out of contention. This, there's a little bit more time in between here. So it becomes a matter of can Georgia rebound to try to play Alabama again to want the rematch? Or is it going to be, you know, or is Harbaugh going to be able to get over the hump and, and learn how to be able to, you know, get his team prepared for a big game and win that game? You see, Pags, though, I, I, I think Michigan and Georgia is going to be very close. I, I would love to see Michigan beat him too. I don't think Alabama and Cincinnati is going to be, but watch it be the totally opposite. Watch, watch, watch Georgia smoke, uh, you know, smoke uh, uh, Michigan and and uh, Alabama barely squeak by Cincinnati. But I don't want to see, I don't want to see if it's Alabama against Georgia. I'm not watching it. I already saw it. I'm tired of that stuff. I'm tired of the the, the two top teams, uh, one based off history, and one because they are they were the best team in football. Play they already played. I saw what happened. I want to see one of those other teams in there against one of them. Uh, I don't think Cincinnati, Michigan is, is 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 probable, possible but not probable. But I would love to see the Cincinnati or Michigan in that final game. Again, I I don't I won't even watch Alabama and Georgia. I, I'll 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 report on it from the highlights. I don't want to see that game. So hopefully that happens. Uh, one more question before we go on break, and this may sound crazy to you, but do you think Georgia took Alabama lightly? Because Alabama had that loss, they were losing. They were winning very tough games against opponents that weren't that great, and Georgia started reading their press. And do you think it's possible at all that Georgia took Alabama lightly? That Georgia was sniffing themselves, yeah, you know, as, as I like to say. Uh, no, I think that Alabama was probably playing down to their competition, and they were winning these games by a little bit, where they weren't romping these teams, and that it was, you know, they put it all together, you know, at the right time to be able to just, 
I mean, I, I didn't get to see the game, but I was listening to it on, on Westwood One, and I, I mean, it just seemed like, I mean, Georgia had that first quarter, and then that was it, you know, and that maybe it was just like, once you start to figure out that you can't move the ball, and, and that their defense was just stopping them and stopping them and stopping them, I mean, the one thing that Georgia had was their punter was kicking 75-yard kicks. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And this punter changing the field possession, but then Alabama just walked right through the defense. So, I mean, I guess the defense could have been sniffing themselves, saying, hey, we're number one in the league and we could stop anybody. And then they realized they couldn't. You know, and then they started to play, you know, you know, I call it the hiney hole pucker, you know, where they start to squeeze. And then once they start to squeeze, they, they you, now you're playing tight and you're not you're not doing things. And Alabama was able to walk through them. Uh, and I feel like that that may have been the, some of the case. I don't think that they were sniffing themselves too much. I think that Alabama garners your full attention anytime you play them. And I think that it's just that Alabama will just prove to be the better team. You know, and was better coached that game, and everything just kind of went more their way. Where Georgia, yeah, they started off really strong. I think they were up ten nothing in that game, and then it was Alabama just kept scoring points, kept scoring points, kept scoring points, and you know Georgia just didn't have a, an answer. Well, the best coach in college football showed Georgia how to coach for a game. That's for sure. Folks, we're going to be right back after these messages. Stick with us. We still got the NFL to get to and, and maybe the MLB. I don't know. I'm just kind of, uh, we'll be right back. When the job is done, this guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man? The man one of the manhandlers is Campbell's Vegetable Beef. Gets a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The manhandlers. When you hear the word asthma, you probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211 InfoLine. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. fermentation. Most brewers just ferment their beer once, but Schaefer is fermented twice. Once to make it beer, and twice to make it Schaefer. The one beer with flavor so fine, it keeps shining through glass after frosty glass. More than one fermentation is one reason, but of course there's more than one reason behind the one beer to have when you're having more than one. We all make choices. 
When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Ann, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, guess it is. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. Guest hosting today for Jack is the Philly sports guy, Jamie Pags. And, folks, uh, we're getting into our last hour of of our last half hour, really, of the show. Thanks for joining us. We enjoy having you on here. We're on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. So tomorrow we'll be up with sort of our weekend review. We'll have uh, Byron Williams in as our NFL analyst. We'll have a Keith Angle with TGI Sports to talk a little bit about the Patriots, Knicks, and uh, and eh, college football. The Yankees aren't doing much right now. And of course, we'll have Bags back on doing his Philly sports report. Always enjoy having him coming in. Saturday, we have our debate show. Me, Jack, and Dr. Paul debate the hottest topics in sports. And Sunday, the big football show uh, that's doing really good in the ratings, uh, where Pags also comes in with his Philly uh, report. I, I drive packs nuts, folks. I have them on the show as much as possible. Keith will be into Jetman with the Jets update and preview. I love him. And Robert Butler uh, comes in and talks about sports in general. He's a great, great analyst. And of course, uh, Jim Jeffcoat is our co-host for that show. Uh, so join us all this week. And uh, the Philly sports guy here, I haven't seen a lot of shows coming out of his, his arena lately. He's still on the NFC East show. Uh, him, Steph, uh, the sneaky giant man or giant guy or whatever he calls himself over there. And uh, they have the Washington Redskins super fan, the Dallas Cowboys super fan there, too. It's a great show. It was on last night. So you get a chance, uh, go over to YouTube or Northeast Streaming Sports uh, Facebook page and check it out. They do an excellent job breaking down uh, the four teams from the NFC East. So, Pags, we come in a part of the show, which is always the biggest story in sports, even when they're not playing the NFL. And, you know, it's been a it's been a crazy year, really. I mean, there's a lot of in the beginning, we thought some teams were going to be really good and then they weren't so good and then they became good. And there's a lot of parody out there right now. Any team basically 
the you know that old cliche any on any any given Sunday has been more real this year than I can remember in history. I mean we we get our we get our hopes behind one team and all of a sudden they lose to a team that we think they shouldn't lose to. And it's just been happening all year. And but the cream is starting to rise to the top it always does uh in the final weeks. And real quick, let's go through the standings uh in the AFC and the NFC. You got the Patriots at nine and four. I think they have a seven game winning streak or something going on over there. Uh, just beat the Bills, who are now seven and five and second. Miami's making a surge. They're six and seven right now. The Jets are still trying to find their way uh, at three and nine. And the West Kansas City is sitting on top again. The Chargers one game behind at seven and five. The Raiders and Denver are both at six and six. Two solid teams. In the North, you got the Baltimore Ravens at eight and four. Cincinnati, even though they lost to the Chargers in second, at seven and five. Pittsburgh. Beats Baltimore and uh, uh, you know they're six five and one and Cleveland six and six and you know when you have a division rivalry especially in the North you just don't know who's going to win that game pack. I mean the defenses come out they play like it's a Super Bowl any team can win it on a field goal and and it normally happens the only blowout I remember this year in the North is when Cincinnati destroyed Baltimore. Other than that, those teams go at it in that North man, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. And, and, you know, it's like I, you know, amongst everything else, being from Pennsylvania, I definitely keep in contact with a lot of Pittsburgh fans who love to, you know, you know, love to try to show their bravado that they are a better city than Philadelphia. And really all that is, is just, you know, yeah, yeah, they're 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 trying to say that theirs is bigger than ours. And and, and it's just all jealousy. But realistically, I, I mean, the fact that I feel like they're one of the bigger surprises. You know Pittsburgh in general that they're able to. Uh, st- Whoop! Sorry, go back. My bad. Yeah, uh, to still play pretty well. So I I feel like that that's that's a big deal in that regard. And you look at that. You look at the divisions in the AFC, and both the West and the North are uh, all, every every team is five hundred or above. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that's really not something you see very often. You know, it's like, of course, you have you have the other two where between the, the Jets, Houston and uh, uh, who's the other one in the the South uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville uh, between them that they have uh, as many, you know, less than, you know, less than amount of wins than the Bengals do. You know what I mean? That's so, or, or equal to the same amount of wins the Bengals do. So realistically, I mean, it's like there's such a the the haves and the have-nots are really, you know, different in, in the disparity there. Uh, it's helped the NFC and it, it's specifically the Eagles. You know, in terms of the fact that these the AFC has beaten the NFC so profoundly this year that yeah. the Eagles still have a chance. You know, and it's like, you know, it, it's it not just the four games that you play. We got that fifth game. That fifth game is obviously game 17 where you're playing against the AFC. So, uh, you know, some of these teams haven't won an AFC against the AFC at all. You know, yeah. so it's like you've lost five games and it doesn't matter what you've done. You know, when you've lost more than a quarter of your season to, uh, you know, 
to the other conference, it doesn't matter whether you've won a lot of games. Like you can only win another 12 games, you know, but you're playing in division and in conference and such like that. And those games are tough, you know, so it's, you know, it, it's actually helped the Eagles and the rest of the NFC where, I mean, I saw, I saw a chance where if the Eagles only won one more game, although it would be a long shot, they could still make the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like that? How is that even feasible? But because of the way that the schedule set up, that if those other teams were to lose more, then the Eagles would wind up making the playoffs, and that would only be with winning one more game. Now, I don't think that's feasible, but I mean, again, anything's possible. Well, you bring up a great point, Pags, because everybody says the NFC is stronger than the AFC, right? Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl. Uh, we got the Arizona Cardinals, the Rams, uh, Green Bay Packers, and all these teams that are supposedly better than the AFC top teams. But if you look at direct competition, that's not true. The AFC right. has beaten the NFC this year during the regular season. Now, that may not end up being the Super Bowl, but even me, my my outlook was, well, the NFC is better than the AFC. But if you look at the games, that's not true at all. It's true that the AFC has beaten all the NFC teams that they played. Except for Pittsburgh not beating Detroit, but that's that's for another conversation. We'll we may have it a little bit, but anyway, um, yeah, the the outlook was NFC. You put the Packers, you put the Rams, you put Dallas, you put all these teams against the AFC top teams, and they are better. And really, Denver's beaten the Cowboys. Um, you know, the Chargers have have beaten uh, the NFC teams. I mean, the West especially has played you know, our division, the NFC East, and I don't think we've beaten any of them. Honestly, I, I don't, I can't remember us beating any of those teams yet. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, so the West, uh, the West against us is, I mean, so the chiefs won all their non-conference games. The chargers are two and two, the Raiders are two and three, and the Broncos are three and one. The only loss being against the Eagles right now. So, right. Uh, and they beat Dallas and, and the Giants, and I'm not sure who they who they have left to play in conference. Uh, but I mean, just just that alone. And then I look at so obviously the AFC South is going up against the NFC North, and that's why you see those teams still kind of being in the mix. Uh, where I mean, because you have the Titans that are three and one, the Colts are one and three, the Texans are zero oh and three, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are zero oh and five. So you look at I, I guess they're playing against the West. Because right. that's why you see all those teams doing really well. Where against the East, you know, it's like the Patriots are two and three. You know, three of the four games that they've lost are non-conference games. Right. You know, they've only lost one divisional game, and I guess that was what against the Dolphins. Yeah, because the Dolphins always seem to play the Patriots and, and beat them somehow. Yeah, um, and it was probably early in the season. You know, because obviously the Dolphins have won five straight. Yeah. So they're yeah. one of the hotter teams in the league right now. That's right. That's exactly so, right. So I, so I mean, so it is amazing right. to kind of see that type of you know disparity between the conferences. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, you, so to finish this off, we got the South. We have Tennessee eight and four. The Colts uh, at seven and six, and like you said, Houston and Jacksonville at two and ten. Just two bad programs right at this time, but the Colts are still alive. So in the NFC East, you have Dallas at eight and four, Washington at six and six, Philly at six and seven, the Giants at four and eight, and the West, which is probably the toughest division in the NFC, as you just spoke of, 
You got the Cardinals at 10 and 2, the Rams at 8 and 4, uh, San Fran at 6 and 6, and Seattle at 4 and 8. And uh, they've looked terrible sometimes, and sometimes they sneak up and beat you. Uh, Green Bay uh, looking good because of the division they're in, I really believe. Minnesota uh, at 9 and 3, Minnesota at 5 and 7. Uh, Chicago, I think, is at 4 and 8. Uh, as I turn my page in Detroit, 110 and 1. Uh, at least they got their win. They didn't, they're not going to be a winless team. Uh, they had to tie, but it's better they get the win and, and they don't join some of the teams in history. And, you know, tonight's game, and somebody brought this up on my show last night uh, when I interviewed uh, Phil Sims under New York Sports Heroes. Or, or sorry, JB and sorry, not, not that one either. It was JB talking shop, uh, the show by uh, Jim Jeffcoat and Byron Williams. Tonight's game is the two teams that didn't that play Detroit, but didn't beat Detroit if you count the Pittsburgh tie. And what are, what are your thoughts on on this this game tonight? Uh, Pittsburgh's coming in as a three and a half point underdog against um, Minnesota in Minnesota. Uh, it's a dome. It's not outside. If it was outside, I think the odds would have been a lot closer. Maybe Pittsburgh might have even got uh, the edge. But Minnesota has always been a team that has talent, sometimes a real good defense, sometimes a great offensive uh, scheme with their passing and running. Against Pittsburgh, who just comes up and punches you in the mouth, uh, that's when they're at their best. So what do you think about tonight's game, Pat? I think that Kirk Cousins can't play in any primetime games, and because of that alone, Pittsburgh wins this game. What is I wrong think I, what what is wrong with that guy? How can how can he play so well some games, but when it comes to Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night, uh, he just folds. I don't get that. Yeah, and I don't know if it's you know I I mean I guess it's a mentality thing. You know this is why they have um, sports psychologists. You know what I mean? Because ultimately, when you get to uh, when you have that type of pressure and you know that everybody's watching you. Uh, it, it becomes in the back of your mind. And then, like, ultimately, you know, I, again, this is one of those things where I feel like if it starts, you know, because he's had so much um, problems, you know, that he's got that stigma attached to him now that he thinks about it. And he overthinks. And because he overthinks it, he, he doesn't succeed. And he puts himself in that bad situation. And once he's in the bad situation, at that point, it's just now you're trying to fight your way out of it. You're already sinking. And you're trying to tread water before you even get out there on the field. And I feel that that really has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, there's certain there's certain things to be said about a losing mentality, right? When you have a losing football team, I mean, just in general, and you go out there and, and you're 0-6, and then you play this team, you get down fast, you go, oh, here we go again. I know it's true. I've experienced it. Here we go again. We're going to lose again. Even though, you know, we didn't even we, we didn't even get out the gate fast. That's a, that's a problem with a lot of teams. They talk about culture, right? And I think that applies here to Kirk Cousins individually. I mean, once he makes a mistake, it's, it's got to be in his mind now. And that's a shame. I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of different sports have players in different sports have that have that happen to them. They get up in a big spot, and I don't know if they just say, well, here we go again, or, or I'm not going to do it or try too hard. It could be a mixture of all three. But it's just funny how some 
some players in certain situations, it's just, it's almost automatic. And I, I think you're right. I think they start believing it and that's, you lost before you even tried. So, um, yeah, it's kind right. of and, and then and so and then some of that goes back on to the coaching. The coach has got to be the one that makes the decisions to be able to make different to set different plays so that they are taking some of the burden away from the quarterback. If their quarterback continually has the same problems over and over again in these types of situations, you want to be able to game plan around that so that you're not putting that type of burden on him. Now I'm not sure if Dalvin Cook is going to play today. That's going to be a big deal. And obviously, that's going to create more of a burden on Cousins if he doesn't. Uh, I mean, Jefferson has still you know, been uh, otherworldly. And you still got Thielen in there, who's still a, an elite receiver. So, I mean, it's not like they don't have the weapons there. And it's not like Cousins doesn't have the arm strength or even the capacity to be able to win some of these games because he's done it before. It's just a matter of do you get that mindset and that mindset overtakes it. And then, you know, I got to imagine there's gamesmanship in the process where, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense also knows that he gets rattled a little bit in these types of games. So you're yelling it on the other side, like, you ready for another interception? You know, sometimes you can get in their heads, you know, and I, you know, you know I, I like that sometimes when I'm able to get into a goalie's head when I'm at a Flyers game, because I sit close enough to the ice where I can start to mess with the goalie and do that. They got to do that on the on the field, too, in football. Oh, yeah. Football, they're, they're always chirping back and forth. And once you start to get to somebody and you know you're getting to them, you ride it and you ride it and you ride it. Until until they start to really fold, and that's that's what's happening. You can't put in earplugs. You got to hear what's going on. You got to hear the other people. You can't just you can't just ignore it as much as you'd like to try to, because the guy's in your face, you know. And then you know, ultimately, it, you make happen what they're talking about. You know, Pags, is this cousin's last shot? Because if you think about it. If you can't win a Sunday night, Thursday night, or, or Monday night game, how are you going to win a Super Bowl on the biggest stage in the world in football and, and the biggest sporting event in the world for that one day? If he can't handle the pressure of winning a Monday night, a night primetime game, how is he going to win a Super Bowl? Do you think the management is finally starting to come around and say, you know, maybe good quarterback can play really well sometimes, but in big spots, he just can't do it? Uh you know, I, I think about when I think about Cousins, I, I, I think of a couple of names that come off the top of my head. Uh, Jeff George, great quarterback, just couldn't seem to win a big one. Uh, Peyton Manning, in a lot of ways, amazing quarterback. But when it came to big games, he came up really small. The defense won a couple of Super Bowls for him in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? He just he didn't have the best games in those in those days. The defense was able to take hold of it. Uh, you know, I, I think of Jay Cutler, who's now going to be a Hall of Famer. You know, and he was another one who just you know, and, and not only not only was he you know not necessarily a good quarterback in, in prime time, but he was a miserable. You know what I mean? He didn't want to even play with him because he was he was just not a you know not a good guy to be with in general. So I, I mean I think of those things, and then you think on the other end of the spectrum where you have Tom Brady, who thrives in those types of situations where you know you could tell like as he was growing up, he was always 
doing the two-minute drill and down to the last second and throwing the winning touchdown for the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And that's what it is. Like, I, I think about that. Like, when you think about the greatness of certain players, when you think of, like, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, who, like, you know, Steph Curry in basketball, and, and Joe Montana and things like that, that as they were growing up, that they used to act that out in, you know, in their youth. And be like, okay, we're, there's three seconds left. We're on the 15-yard line. I'm going to throw that to touchdown. We win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. you got to play that stuff out in your head and, and be able to believe that. Now, i got to imagine there's a lot of people that do that. And, and you you got to start out really young to get into the NFL and, and have that type of greatness. But when it starts to creep in the other way, when it's like, oh, I gotta make this throw now. Like I gotta, like I gotta win this game on this throw, and it's the second quarter. You know what I mean? It's like those are the mentalities that you have as a quarterback that's starting to get themselves in quicksand. And that's I, it, like, and I think about that with Carson Wentz. You know, when he came out onto the field after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, every pass he threw, he was trying to win the Super Bowl, and you just couldn't do that. At week three and week four and week five, you know, it's just because it's not the Super Bowl, you know, and so that there's a mentality that comes along with that. And I feel like that that was the beginning of the end for Carson Wentz. It just took two years to, you know, to metathesize, you know, yeah. I, I might say, I think I said that word wrong, but, uh, you know, that's what's going on now with Cousins. You know, Cousins had a good season with Washington. You know, and, and sure. And then he became a free agent, went to Minnesota. Then he re-signed with Minnesota. Minnesota put some faith into him again and so re-signed him for another three years. I think they're in the second year of those three, of that three years. I don't know that I'd re-sign him again. And I think that Minnesota, you know, depending on this season, Minnesota may be in the market for a quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So if – if you look at the teams right now, Pax, right, we got a lot of wild card and a lot of NFL teams that are in the mix, technically. So do you think the season and the AFC and, – and, and I don't even go there first. First, I want to talk to you. I got to talk to you about this. I wasn't going to, but I got it. So mustache magic comes to Philadelphia, right? He looks great out there throwing the ball around, and I knew he was a good thrower. Minshew was a good throw. He, he played with, you know, the Jags, which nobody was successful with the Jags, I mean, for a lot of years. A terrible organization. But some games I watched him in, he could throw the ball through a needle in a needle of a of a sewing needle, right? I mean, he he's he's that type of quarterback. I think even better than Foles. I think Minshew could be a starter on some teams. And he's a he's a solid backup for sure. Throwing the ball, he looked a little bit better than Hurts. So, is you got a week off? I was going to talk to you about this tomorrow, but I can't control myself. You got a week off, and 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 you know the bye week. Hurts should be ready to come back. If Hurts struggles in the first half against, we play in the. Are you playing the following week? Is it? Is it's not? Uh, we're playing Washington. Right. If he struggles, do they turn to Minshew? For the season, or? so uh, you know, again, uh, I was going to talk about this tomorrow, but I will talk yeah. about it today. Uh, so it was announced that uh, Jalen Hurts had a high ankle sprain, and right. that this injury is two to four weeks. Oh, and the Washington game is you know right around week three. 
So it makes me wonder, it's like, okay, if the ankle's at 60% or is it going to be at 80% at the end of week three? You know, and if it's at 60%, I don't think you play him. You know, I think that you have to go back with Minshew. Uh, I think if it's at 80%, you play him. Uh, the one thing that I, I, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday on my show, is that, you know, back in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, and even into the early 2000s, it wasn't the biggest deal to, if a quarterback was having a bad day, that in the middle of the third quarter, you benched him and you put in the other quarterback. And it wasn't that, okay, the other quarterback's about to take over this guy's job. It was the fact that you needed a different set of eyes. And the one thing that I saw against the Jets, because it was the Jets, and the the Jets' defense was Swiss cheese. So uh, it wasn't a matter of that. The one, you know, so... Minshew was actually playing pretty well. However, they got those three first touchdowns and then they got five field goals. They couldn't, he couldn't put the puck in the net in the last five drives. They all had to just say they, they you know, got three points. And I don't like when you're trading seven points for three points. I don't like that. So that's, that is something that I saw. But what I also saw is that if Hertz is struggling, and you get into the middle of the third quarter. You gave him those couple of uh, of drives in the third quarter, and you see if he can get things turned around. And he doesn't get things turned around. Uh, it's not the biggest deal in the world to bring in Minshew, who's so different of a quarterback, who's got a different set of eyes, and that you know now all of the adjustments that you made for Hurts doesn't now compute to Minshew. Now you actually have, you give yourself more of an opportunity to win the game. I, I feel that, you know, when you think about last year and I think about the Dallas game, when Hertz was not having a good game and in the middle of the third quarter, he was driving down the field and then threw that interception in the end zone against Dallas. And we were still in the playoff hunt. And I said, now is the time to bring back in Wentz. He says, now you got to bring in Wentz to see, because he's got a different set of eyes, a different set of skills. And it's possible that we could bring back, we were still close in that game. They didn't do it. Wentz is like, I'm not even going to dress the next game. Cause I got to imagine if I see it, you know, the quarterback sees it too. You know, it this now it's a whole new regime. Uh, and Hertz is so much different than Minshew that if Hertz is struggling, I wouldn't be so opposed to bringing in Minshew for that different set of eyes to give us the best opportunity to win the game. Now, does that mean he should start the next game? Do that three games in a row, and then I'll give you more of the opportunity to start. You're not doing, you know, you do it one game and you come back and start the next game and you're doing great. I'm not saying, oh, you got to go back to Minshew. You know what I mean? I think that you're a starting quarterback and you're a starting quarterback until you lose that position, you know, and, you know, that you need to have some time to lose that position. But that doesn't mean that the coach has got to stick with you and lose games because of it. And I feel that that was what's happened up to this point where the games that he wasn't playing well that Hertz wasn't playing well, they were more nervous to go to the quarterback, to go to the backup quarterback because they didn't want a controversy to start. I feel now uh, that the media is going to create a controversy. And I think that that's automatically going to happen because that's what they do. But realistically, that Hertz is the starting quarterback. Hertz is going to be the one that kind of leads us, that we are a running team and that we can do some passing, but we are a running team 
team. And as long as we're getting over 200 yards rushing, as we have for three the last three games consecutively, that you don't need a passing offense. You all you got to do is run the ball. Running the ball keeps the it keeps the ball. It keeps uh, the time of possession. You keep the ball away from the offense of the other team. And we got divisional games, which are smash mouth games. You need to just push the ball forward and move the chains. Keep the ball in your hands rather than give it to the other team and, and win games that way. Well, Pags, I disagree with a lot what you say there, and why I disagree with that is because. Any quarterback that you really want to be your starting quarterback, you can't do that to him. I mean, you look back at Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, they had rough seasons. Eli Manning, when he first went in for, uh, for uh, um, can't remember his name right now, just got in the Hall of Fame not too long ago, Kurt Warner. The Giants were 5-4. and four. They made the decision to go with Eli Manning. They talked to Kurt Warner about coming. He said, no, it's Eli's team. It's, it's Eli's team now. Once you make that move and you start playing that way, with your quarterback, because the quarterback's got to be one of the most confident guys on that field. He's got to be confident in his ability to bring it back. He's got to be confident in his ability to lead the team on that two-minute drive, to bring it back in the fourth quarter, whatever it is. That's why Brady's so good. That's why Breeze was so good. You know, that's why these quarterbacks, even Dak Prescott, unless he's hurt, he's playing. And even as a, from the rookie year on, to me, once you start doing that at a quarterback, you say, well, if you're not good in the third quarter, we're going to bring in Minshew. He's going to be looking over his shoulder all the time. And you either stick with Hurts or if you feel Minshew gives you the best chance to win, you go to Minshew. But once you go to Minshew, it's almost impossible to go back to Hurts. So you can't have to. And I I disagree with that. I just disagree with that. I feel like like that's not how the game used to be played. There would be times when you would actually, hey, you just don't have it today. I want to give it. I want to give us a chance to win the game. You know that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be benched. You, well, Pags, I quarterbacks really would go through that a couple of games what, in a row. What example? I mean, I don't know an example of a good team that ever did that. Of a good team, bad teams do it, sure. But a good team, they never brought in a replacement for Bob Reese. He never put a replacement in for Terry Bradshaw. They never put in a replacement for Roger Staubach. They never. They never did that. That never happened. Now, bad teams, yeah, because, you know, you're looking for a quarterback. But if you made up your mind, this is your quarterback, and you start bringing in other quarterbacks because he's not playing well, I, I, I don't remember a successful team ever doing that. Giants had, yeah, I, had, Giants had quarterbacks. When Phil Simms was healthy, he was a starting quarterback in the discussion. So I don't know, uh, I don't know what, what you mean there. Ron Jaworski, See, and I look at it. I look at it more as like a, a pitcher's mentality. And Ron Jaworski knows a lot about this because it was hey, he on third down they would bring in Randall Cunningham. Now it would there would be a number of times where Ron Jaworski was like, "I'm glad that you're getting third down because we already stunk it up the first two downs." There were other times where he was like, "I'm just getting into a rhythm, and now you're killing my rhythm." So it well, didn't quite work were, with they, the two quarterback type of situation. Were, right. They were but, going. They were. They were going to Campbell in the long run. Anyway, Jaworski was on his way out at that time. Right. I mean, Jaworski was already went to the Super Bowl once way before Cunningham got there. They were just they were getting rid of Jaworski, and they wanted Cunningham to come in. But uh, he, you know, so but I think about this with the Eagles, where all right, you got Donovan has was playing poorly for a couple of games. Actually, he then gets benched. The next game, he comes out and he throws four touchdowns well, because I, I it, it, it oh, spawned. I, I I understand what you're saying as far as if they're having a bad game and, and you may have to bring somebody in. And, you know, Mayfield just got benched, and good reason. But uh, if you want to have a successful quarterback 
And I don't think Wentz is successful right now, not yet anyway. And I don't think uh, Mayfield's successful yet either. I mean, even though the Browns went, they went in spite of him at certain times instead of because of him. I just think I just think a confidence. It's not the same as a pitcher at all. Pitcher can. I mean, that's 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 so far. The pitcher's in the leader of the baseball team. Number one, the pitcher is can't play every game. Number two, you've got to have good uh, good relievers and stuff. He just doesn't have his stuff sometimes. He's a, it's an independent thing. Football is more of a leader. Uh, the, the team's got to have confidence in him. He's got to have confidence in the team. It's a team sport. A little bit different. Don't listen to Jack and relief pitchers and relief quarterbacks. No, and I don't look at it like that. I just look at it that some games that the other team has got you figured out and that you need a different set of eyes to be able to see it. So now all of the adjustments that they made, because they know what your reads are, they know your strengths and weaknesses, and now you're putting in somebody else there who's got different strengths and weaknesses. And that's why sometimes when you bring in uh, a goalie, you know, you bring in the backup goalie and all of a sudden the team rallies around. It's the same way. The team's going to rally around a little bit because it's like, hey, we got, you know, we're trying to win this game. It, it is, you know, you know Listen, we're going to just rally around to do that. That doesn't mean that you have to give them up to the, no, you know, that the next game is automatic. But but, but it, what you're saying is if that quarterback has a bad game that game and then he has a bad game the next game in the third quarter and then in that, no, you can't do that, Pags, because that's still different. A goalie is really your your only defensive guy out there, and replacing that one guy in that position might be fine. But in football, that quarterback has to have enough confidence to feel he can bring the team back. And in, until he gets that, there's no way he can become another Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, a Drew Bledsoe, uh, even a Drew Bledsoe in his bad, bad times. He didn't get pulled until he got hurt because he won. And, and I just think football as quarterback – it's just one position. Unless you have a bad team and you're trying to figure things out, and I think the Eagles are still trying to figure things out at quarterback right now, so I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you because I think the Eagles have a good team. But what I'm saying, if you want Hurts to be your starting quarterback here on out, if that's what the team wants, to bring somebody else in there because he's struggling, you're just telling him we have no confidence in you. And then the team saying looks at that and says, well, they don't have confidence in him. Why should we? And it's a big thing in football that you have confidence in your quarterback, especially if you're trying to build something. So, um, you know, you're right to a point. But for the Eagles' future, I think that's a terrible, terrible move for them to make if they did that. And uh, I'd at least give Hurts this year and maybe next year and then start looking to maybe if Minshew sticks around, uh, then then start Minshew or have him have a competition offseason, you know, and make your decision. Because I, I don't, well, no, and I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I agree to a certain extent, but I also agree that it's more important to win games than to worry mm-hmm. about the ego of a player, and that's that's what where, where I'm talking about more than, you know, especially especially right now in, in the disparity of the you know where anybody could get into the playoffs, it would maybe take a quarterback tandem that actually that like each other again that maybe are cohesive. You know, I don't think Minshew's the answer. I don't think Minshew's going to take us to the promised land. I don't know if Hertz is going to either. You know, that's well, one, the thing. One so. one great example of this where they had to make a change was when Craig Morton and Roger Staubach were both kind of the starting quarterback of the Cowboys. Morton took them to the Super Bowl. Staubach took them to a Super Bowl. They had to get rid of one of them, and Tom Landry knew it because it split the team, and they ended up getting rid of Craig Morton. So just something to think about. Folks, we're almost out of time. The Philly sports guy, Philzen, does a tremendous job, as always, 
he's a great he's a great sports uh, analyst and uh, commentator, and that's why I love having him on the show all the time. You guys have a great day today. Enjoy your Friday. We'll see you tomorrow. Got some big games coming up this weekend. Have a great day, folks. Have a great night.